Amen. I don't know about you, but I love singing together. I love hearing us sing together. It's a blessing. Sermon notes for the nerds in the house, like your pastor. You can take a picture of that QR code, and it will take you to the sermon notes. You can email your notes that you take along with my notes to yourself when you finish that. And you can do that right there at that picture, and I'll bring it back up one more time in just a second. Uh, We are finishing the Sermon on the Mount series today. After 10 long messages, two weddings, and a 60th birthday party for my mother, we have finally reached the end of this sermon series, and it couldn't have failed a better time. The way this sermon ends, the fact that we're recognizing our seniors today, looking at the choice of the kingdom, for a kingdom servant, the choice that we have, uh, and as Jalen and, and Lydia are at a point in their life where they inevitably have to make choices that will affect the rest of their life, it is very timely that this message is today, but it's easy to dismiss the rest of us, if we're not careful from these choices, because really and truly, it's not a big one-time only choice. Yes, we are eternally kept at the moment of salvation, but we daily die to self. We daily need the Lord. We daily have to make decisions to continue to choose Jesus day after day after day. And so this is not just just a, a message for Seniors that are graduating high school and going on to other things, it, it, it affects every single one of us. Jesus says that we have a choice to make. And we are finishing up this first sermon that he preached in the Gospel of Matthew today. And again, there's that QR code if you want to take notes alongside of what we're doing today. As we get ready to finish up, this is how the Sermon on the Mount ends. After Jesus finishes talking, these are the last verses of the chapter, the last verses of chapter 7, and then it moves on uh, to, to new subjects and new things. And it says at the end of the sermon, Jesus has preached this sermon, and again, I've told you, if you, if you spoke the whole thing as a message, you're talking 15 to 20 minutes, about 17 minutes on the dot, but 15 to 20 minutes, depending on, I could say it in 15 minutes, I know some of you do not like how fast I talk, I try my best to slow down, but I get excited and I start talking fast, and I can't help it. But if you spoke really slowly and really eloquently, about 20 minutes. And so after Jesus finishes this whole message, it says, When Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, amazed, bewildered, dazed, because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. It sounded like God himself was standing in front of them talking. He was speaking about spiritual matters in a way that only God can talk about things. And they recognized that. But recognizing that is not what it's about. It's not about our recognition of what Jesus has said or done. That may be the starting point, but that is not what it's about. It's about choosing to place faith in him or not. We have a choice. So real quick... For those that have not been here or missed a week or whatever the case may be, or you have a memory like mine nowadays and you forget things often, here's a quick nine-week review, a quick review of what we have talked about, what Jesus has told us in his first public sermon recorded by Matthew. So the first week, the attitude of the kingdom servant is to be satisfied in obeying 
Jesus' way of living. The job of a kingdom servant is to be healing, tasty, salt, and vibrant, God-shining light to show God's generosity to the world. The rules for a kingdom servant is to live by the royal law. Love others as Christ has loved you. The standard for a kingdom servant is Christ's perfection, received at salvation, matured in sanctification, and brought to completion upon his return. The worship of the kingdom servant must be sincere mercy, prayers, and sacrifices. We worship to honor God, not to be recognized by people. One of the toughest ones as a sinful human being. We worship to honor God, not to be recognized by people. Sincere worship is also trusting God to fulfill and satisfy our daily needs. The behavior of a kingdom servant should never be self-righteous or judgmental. You should examine yourself first and help others be restored second. And don't waste time on dogs and hogs, Jesus said. The motivation of a kingdom servant is not to manipulate God to get what you want because you can't do that anyway. So just treat others well the way you want to be treated. The motivation is to honor God with our lives. And the key we spoke of last week, the key for a kingdom servant is to be sincere in our seeking and following Jesus. Sincerely, truly desiring to follow him and to obey him. We give him the praise. We admit wrongdoing. We seek reconciliation with each other. You're not perfect, so don't pretend like you are. That was our main point last week. We talked about character over charisma. That's what sincerity is. Practice over preaching. Don't just talk about it, Stuart, but be about it. I had to wake him up for a second. True righteousness is obedience from a submitted heart. That's the key, sincere. A obedience from a sincere, submitted heart. And finally this week, we get to the choice for a kingdom servant. The choice for a kingdom servant. And as we get to that, I like this quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt said, Once philosophy is not best expressed in words, it is expressed in the choices one makes. If you're wondering what somebody truly believes, just watch what they do. Not listen to what they say. So let's pick it up where Jesus finishes here in chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it did not collapse. It didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house. And it collapsed. And its collapse was great. Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus, Lord. As we dig into your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would tear us open to receive your word. Lord, whether we've, whether we've known you through salvation for three or four decades, we've known you for, for three or four weeks, or Lord, if there's someone here today in the building or listening through the camera that does not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, whatever the case may be, we pray that your word will do what only your word can do, and that we give you the honor and the praise for whatever you deem that you want to do through us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So, that first word, I've told you many times that that word always sticks out to me. That word always sticks out. Therefore, is always there for a reason. So, why is it there in this case? Therefore, Jesus is summing up the very end of his sermon. But you could say that he's summing up his entire sermon when he says therefore. But he's specifically summing up this last portion of his sermon. We talked about how the, it ends with four exhortations, four, four calls to, 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 to do better, four, four uh, encouraging statements that Jesus is giving at the end of his sermon. And he's, because of those four things, therefore, do this. Therefore, in other words, that bad tree, excuse me, <clears throat> therefore, that bad tree, the difficulty of the road that leads to, that leads to life. Therefore, the, the difficulty of the road that leads to life. Therefore, that bad trees will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, because false prophets will come looking like sheep, but really and truly have the desire to steal, kill, and destroy. Therefore, because this life is really, really hard. Therefore, because real, justified, godly, eternal judgment is coming. Therefore, because there is more to this life than just the physical days spent here on this earth. Therefore, in light of eternity and the certainty of judgment, because of all of that, Jesus is saying when he says, therefore, summing up the very end of his sermon. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock, which is a Pretty simple, easy to understand analogy that Jesus gives us at the end of his sermon. Many people hear the words of Jesus. Many people heard him literally speak this sermon. Many people were there. But few act upon them. That's what Jesus tells us. We talked about that last week. Few actually do what I'm asking them to do. Few, few build a life on Jesus' words. Few, few truly cling to his words, his teachings, his truth to him for eternal life. But everyone who does, Jesus says here, all of the ones that do, and notice all is all. There is no distinction in all. We've, we, we've said that numerous times over and over and over. There is no distinction for anyone that comes to faith in Jesus. No racial distinction, no ethnic distinction, no, no socioeconomic distinction, no, no intelligence distinction, no, no how pretty you are, nothing. They're all who do this, they're sensible, they're wise, they're sensible, they're wise. They're doing something that makes complete and total sense. In light of eternity and, and the certainty of judgment... And the absolute goodness of our loving Father God, they're acting sensibly. Anyone who acts upon these words, who obeys, in other words, is sensible and wise. James tells us the same thing in his first chapter. And this, this part of this verse is quoted all the time. It says, my dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Those are three things right there that we could, if we just work on that in our sanctification process, Lord knows what he could do through us. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding, yourself, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil, only receive the implanted word, there it is, the word, which is able to save you 
but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. We looked at that a lot last week about how people were being self-deceived. Some come and deceive us, and sometimes people are just self-deceived. We, we, we do these things that make us think that we are in a correct standing with God. I'm here to tell you, church, when you and I stand before him, there's only going to be one right answer. There's only going to be one right answer to how do you enter into eternity with God. If he says, and I don't know what judgment's going to look like. I know it's going to be a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing to stand before a holy and righteous God, his word says. But if he says, he's standing there right by the narrow gate. Why should I let you in? And you say anything like, well, because I went to Danville First Baptist Church. Well, I, I read my Bible often, and I even knew and had memorized quite a bit of it. If you say something like that, then Jesus has already told us last week we looked at it. What is he going to depart from me? I, I didn't know you. Those things don't save you. The, the only thing that we can say is Jesus. That's it. Jesus. Why should I let you in? You shouldn't. But Jesus said that I could. Why should I let you in? I don't deserve to come in. But Jesus said that if I place my faith in him, then he's going to prepare a room for me to join your family. It's not about us. But it is about following what Jesus said. And he said that he wants us to die to ourselves and live for him. Not, not do any cheap, outwardly, unsacrificial act that we think makes God pleased with us. We must be doers of the word, not hearers only. And we get that. We talked about that last week. If you missed last week, go back and listen. And, and, and we talked about the importance of doing as opposed to just hearing. Jesus is summing that up here. And then he goes on there at the very end. The sensible man who built his house on the rock. The, the, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man, a wise man, whichever one your, your English says, same thing, who built his house on the rock. This interesting analogy here, it, I find it very familiar. I find this analogy very familiar. I've told many of you before, many of you know that, that I learned firsthand about these types of things. In, in high school and a little bit in college, I, I helped build houses. Uh, that was one of my summer jobs that I had through the years. One, one time we went to Monroe, Louisiana, which is three and a half hours away from where I'm from, because the guy I worked for had a friend there that needed our help. And we went there, and all that was there when we got there was the foundation. And in four days, that house was in the dry. That was awesome. That was so much fun. Like We put up the walls. We decked the walls. We put up the rafters. We decked the rafters. We had everything done for it to be in the dry in four days. That was really, really fun time. And I made what seemed like a gazillion dollars to me at the time. I think I was 16. I think it was 400 bucks. It might as well have been a million. It was awesome. But, but I learned firsthand when building houses that, that it didn't matter when it comes to the structural integrity, the, the, the possibility of your house standing and staying stood. It doesn't matter how nice your crown molding is. 
It, it, it didn't matter how expensive the countertops were in the house. It, it didn't matter if it was a bricked home or a home that was wrapped in siding. You, you can have the nicest amenities inside and outside of your home. But if your home has a bad foundation, then all you've got is an expensive hunk of junk. An expensive hunk of junk that is going to be an even bigger expensive headache down the road. And you, you know that. You, you have seen that if you've ever seen the damage that a splitting, crumbling foundation can and will do to a home, much less if something, some external force is pressed upon that home. Just the weight of the home itself on a bad foundation. It doesn't work. It must, it must, it must, must have a good foundation for it to withstand itself and what life is going to bring towards it. And, and Jesus says here, he says, the rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Now, think about it. The rains, where do they fall from? Above or below? Okay, the rains fall from above. Are we awake? Woohoo! I'll do a little dance, get us awake. All right. The rains fell from above, and, and the rivers or the floods come from below, and the winds come from the sides. Jesus is saying, hey, build the house on the rock, and life is going to throw things at you from every direction you can possibly think of. And anybody that's lived longer than 10 minutes knows that. There's not a single person in here that doesn't have some story about how they went through something hard, something difficult, some type of adversity. It's one of my favorite parts about talking to our senior adults is because they have so many stories, interesting stories. They've been, you don't live 70, 80, 90 years and not go through some things that are hard. We would be wise to, to glean what we can from those stories. The rain falls. It's coming. And notice here what it doesn't say. I, you know that that's the way my brain works. It doesn't say if the rain falls. It doesn't say if the rivers rise, if the winds blow, if the house gets pounded. It doesn't say that, does it? Why? Because it's going to happen. Adversity is a certainty. Adversity is a certainty in this life. What we do is we look at so-and-so and we think in our foolishness that they don't have any adversity because they're, they have a good marriage, so it seems, the outside looking in. Or they have nice stuff, right? Or they've got a good job. Or they have a friend. Or they're good-looking. Or they're muscular. Or they're not muscular. Or whatever. The, we look at people and we go, man, if I could just be like that, then life wouldn't be so hard. And that's just not true. It's just not true. And it's even harder to discern through that these days when, when the entire world is putting up its fake filtered version of itself online to see all the time. And we look at that and go, man, it'd be so nice to be so-and-so. Guess what? So-and-so has got rain falling, rivers rising, and winds pounding their house. Maybe, maybe they're in a momentarily break, a momentary break in that. But it's momentary. We will face, we will face adversity in this life. That is a certainty. But that's not all Jesus is talking about here. It's very, very few times that when Jesus says something, it's just that surface level easy to understand. 
He's talking here more as much as anything that we will ultimately face judgment. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He, he did it in the preceding verses. The bad tree will be cut down and thrown into the fire because it's useless. Ultimately, we will face judgment. Judgment from a holy, just, and loving God. And in both of these instances, church, whether it's, whether it's storms in this life, difficulties in this life, or when standing before God in judgment, both of these, how pretty your landscaping and your lawns are won't matter, speaking about the analogy. Having a pretty lawn does not keep your house up in a storm. Nothing wrong with it. It's cool. Do your thing. Don't expect the winds not to knock your house down because your lawn's pretty. Right? Don't expect, don't expect the azalea bushes to block the wind or the flood or the rain. It's not going to happen. We said that last week. But Lord, Lord. No, no, no. Right? That's what it would be like. But Lord, I've got crown molding in my house. It should stay up in the storm. Lord, Lord, we did all these things. We did all these things that we said were about you, but really they were about making us feel important and making us feel special. We did all this stuff, Lord. How, how can you not know us? How can you not love us? How do you, how, what do you, I don't understand. Lord, look at my flower beds. <laughs> Lord, my grass doesn't have a single weed in it. Again, I'm not bagging on those things. It's the analogy Jesus gave us. That's not going to keep our house up in the storm. And it's not going to stand up to the judgment of a holy God. Anything you've done in your self-righteousness is not going to stand up to a holy God. And we will see that clear as day on the day of judgment. No one will stand before a holy God and be able to justify themselves. And no house ever survived a storm because of the pretty things we dress it up with. Nothing wrong with having nice and pretty things, but it ain't going to last in the storm. And it says, yet, yet, it did all those things. It pounded this house. Yet, it didn't collapse. This house didn't collapse. This life built on following Jesus. This life built on Jesus' truth. This life built on God's word. Yet, it doesn't collapse like everything else the world has to offer when the storms come, which I believe is why the storms come. Catch that? That's why I believe the storms come, to prove what is and is not true, to prove what we do and do not actually believe, even though we say we do sometimes when we don't. It says it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. And that's a cool Greek word right there. It's a cool Greek word. It's one word that, that, we, that we say because it's foundation or because it was built upon. Right? It's, it's numerous words in English. There are hundreds of thousands of words in English. Okay? There's only about 11,000, 12,000 in ancient Hebrew. So these words have deep, deep meaning to them. And, and Greek was the same way. The, the New Testament was in Greek. It, didn't have, it doesn't have near as many words as modern English does. This word... The first word there is, is actually in Greek. The word below it is, is transliterated, so it's put how it sounds in Greek into English letters. It's them el e o o. I've practiced that a million times. Them el o o is how you say that. Them el e o o is the one word right there for because it's foundation. And that word means to lay the foundation, to found, 
to make stable, to establish. It means all of those things. It's the same word used here in Hebrews 1.10. And in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. Same word. That's pretty cool. We have the ability to, to establish a life in the same way that God established the earth and the heavens, showing his handiwork. Thimila o'o, same word here, to found, to establish, and to make stable, a stable life. But only if that foundation is on the rock. And what exactly is the rock? What exactly is Jesus talking about here? He is exactly, specifically, and always talking about his teachings. The truth. God's word. It's another way that we say that. Building our life on God's word. Building our life on God's teachings. And Jesus' first teaching was, come and follow me. Not come down front, say a prayer, and then go do whatever you want. That's not in there. So we have to build our life on Jesus' teachings. On, you, could just, you could just focus on the, the, week, the, the nine-week review we just looked at. This one sermon. We could just focus on one sermon. There's five public teachings in Matthew's gospel. We could just focus on that one, and we could literally turn the world upside down by living and treating each other the way Jesus calls us to live and treat each other. We could do that. How do, how do I know that that's what Jesus is talking about? One, because he says it right here. But where else does he say it in other places? Of course he does. In John 14, 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time without you knowing me, Philip? Philip says, Show us the Father. Jesus, show us the Father. Show us what God really looks like. Show us who God really is. Have I been among you all this time without you knowing me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? These words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. There it is. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, catch this. Jesus says, believe because of the works themselves. You don't have to just believe it because I'm saying it, Philip. Believe it because of what I'm doing. And he wants us to do the same thing. I'm telling you that this is the truth, and then I'm showing you, more importantly, Jesus is saying that this is the truth. Look at the miracles I'm doing. Look at the things I'm doing. I'm not just talking about it. Yeah, look, I got this guy who was laying here lame, and he stood up because I said I have the ability to forgive sins, and I forgave his sins, and I brought him up onto his feet. Look, see, Jesus was a talker, but Jesus was also a walker. He also did it. And he's calling us to do the same things, to do miraculous things in God's name, not just talk about the miraculous things that God has done before. He's calling us to do them now. And then he changes gears. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them, this dude is a fool. This guy is not very smart. This guy that builds his house in the sand, he heard my words, but that's as far as it got. In this ear, and probably out that ear. May have rattled around in there for a second, but it didn't do anything to his heart, which means it didn't do anything to his actions. But notice the similarities here. 
Think about this, right? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. The, sh the sun shines on the just and the unjust, God's Word says, right? If God only loves those who are going to choose Him, then He's not a loving God. He loves all, everyone. Notice here, both heard the teachings. The wise man and the, the, and the foolish man, they both heard Jesus' words. They both need a house, right? They need shelter from the storms of this life. They both need forgiveness, spiritually speaking. They, they both built a house. They both recognized their need for a house. They both actually built a house. Both experienced the same kind of difficult storms. Following Jesus, you have storms. Not following Jesus, you have storms. Following Jesus and facing storms has eternal significance. Following Jesus and not, not following Jesus and having storms has no significance whatsoever other than the suffering that you're experiencing in this world. That's all you get out of it. Foolish. I don't know how else to say that. It's foolish. Both, both of them rest with confidence that they've built a house that will withstand the storms. The wise man rests with confidence in God. The foolish man rests with confidence in himself, in his own personal law. Well, I just think it means, well, you know, I know that's what it says, but I feel like, okay, when we start going, I feel like whatever comes after that is probably not a wise thing. Probably not a wise thing. Probably a load of junk. I'm about to chase that rabbit. I'm not going to. But how they built the house upon what they built the house was distinguishably different. All the rest of us the same. Same opportunity, same recognition, same everything. But upon what they built their house, upon what you build your life, it's distinguishably different. And how, and how noticeably different it would have been to anyone with even rudimentary knowledge of building. I mean... I've built houses. I'm, far, I'm not an expert at all, but I've seen it take place. But you don't even have to do that. I mean, just a little bit of knowledge about how the world works. You know that a house built on a foundation that's not stable is not going to withstand. Think about, think about what this would look like. What would you think of a man if, if you were crossing the Arkansas River Bridge coming into Dardanelle and you look down there to the right where that big swath of beach is, right? Unless the floods come. But that sand, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody picturing that? What would you think of a dude that was building a house right there? What a fool! What is he thinking? Why would you do that? Doesn't he know the river's going to rise? Doesn't he know that that sand's going to shift? Doesn't he know that's not going to work? It's just as illogical when you step back and really think about what it means to follow Jesus. It's the only thing that makes sense. Eternity is the only thing that makes this world make sense. If it, if it weren't for eternity, then this whole thing is just dumb. I don't know how else to say that. And Jesus is saying here, in other words... What I'm telling you to do in, in the house analogy, it's not, it's, these aren't home improvement ideas. These aren't home improvement ideas that you can tack on to whatever life you want to live and you tack on a little Jesus and then everything's okay. 
That's not the way it works. He's saying, you can't use my words in a Bible study. Oh, oh. You can't just use my words in a Bible study, but not work them into the fabric of your life and think that you are following me. You're fool. You're foolish. How foolish to think that. And what happens? That house is pounded also, and it collapses, and it's a great, great collapse. And, and that's what it's going to look like on the day of judgment. Just as foolish as that house built on that sand by the Arkansas River would collapse as soon as they let water out of the lake. Same thing. We would, what a foolish carpenter. It's not going to work. So it's practical in our life. It will give you the strength to withstand what this life is going to throw at you which is a great reason to follow Jesus, but it's not the greatest reason. The greatest reason is because on final judgment, there are no do-overs. We don't get do-overs when we stand before a holy and just God. Now, this was just one teaching of Jesus, right? I told you, you could focus on that one, but what was the final teaching in Matthew, the final command that Jesus gave to his disciples, to his followers, to his church? What was the final thing that he said to them? We say it every Sunday. What do you say? Great Commission, right? That's what we call it. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. The final teaching of Jesus. T- take all of this and live it, and as you go about living it, disciple, teach someone else to do it over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus says very clearly, I set before you a choice, how to live your life. It's your choice. Die to self, follow me, live forever. Live for self, die, and be separated from the love of God forever. Your choice. So, like Moses, not that I'm Moses, but like Moses, in Deuteronomy 30, I say it like this. I call on heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God. Obey him and remain faithful to him. Students, Lydia and Lolo, especially as you enter this new chapter, what are you going to build your life on? Your life is built on a series of choices and nothing else. Mom and dad, you're raising your kids. What, what are you going to do? What type of foundation are you going to lay for your kids to build their lives on, to follow you in doing? Empty nesters, you're God's gift to the church. You really are. What, what are you going to do with the gift of time that you now have? How are you going to use that to help someone be discipled so that they have a foundation on the rock of Jesus so that they have eternity with you and me and all Jesus' followers? Or, or, or today, are you the one that needs to come down here and publicly profess that you desire to follow Jesus in faith? You want to admit that you're a sinner, that you believe he died for your sin, was buried proving his death, and came back to life proving his victory over sin and death. And you want to place your trust, your hope, your action 
in that truth today? Are you that person today that needs to, that needs to begin a life from this day forward built on the rock? The song that we're singing today, that we're about to sing, that we're finishing with today, you don't know it. I can guarantee you, because it's an original song. So you're not going to know it. So don't stand there and pretend to sing today. Because I know you're lying if you do. Because you don't know this song. Do business with God today during this time as we sing this song. Do business with God today. Obey today. Whatever God's laying on your heart. Maybe it's just to come down front and pray for our two seniors as they head into this next chapter of their life that will definitely have difficulties in it. Maybe it's to come forward and profess Jesus as Lord and Savior and or your desire to be baptized because of that truth. Maybe, maybe this morning you need to go to someone and be reconciled in forgiveness. Not a greater way you could worship God this morning than to go to whomever it is and be reconciled in forgiveness this morning. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, obey it today, right now. Father, I come to you and thank you that you have given us a way to build a life that matters. Lord, I thank you that you loved us enough that you had the mercy to take away our sin debt, to take away our punishment, to take it upon yourself. Lord, you're just and you're holy, so you can't be associated with sin, God, but you're loving and you're good and you're merciful and you're full of grace. And so you took away the punishment for sin on yourself and you just ask us to believe, to live our life submitted to that truth. God, whatever the, the case may be this morning for whomever you're dealing with, God, would, they, would you use your Holy Spirit to give them the strength to obey, regardless of the eyes that are on them this morning, God, that they'd be more worried about your eyes on them and their eyes on you than our eyes on each other. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.